while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. Got open lines for most of the show. Um, And we'll also take your messages on the WBSM app chat as well. Uh, As soon as I log into it, which I'm about to do right now. Okay, we're in. So I'll also be taking your messages on the WBSM app chat uh, if you want to send me those there. Um, So, good show ahead for you today, Uh, at least I hope. I'll let you be the judge. Um, There's a few things going on. There is the Georgia Senate runoff between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. That's... The Senate, you know, Senate majority has already been decided, but it's going to decide who has, you know, the balance of power in the Senate, in the Senate. Uh, And it's also going to, um, I think, you know, give each party a better, you know, um, leg up in the 2024 elections when the map really opens up for Republicans and Democrats have to play some have to play some defense in 24. So we'll um, we'll be getting updates with that. The polls closed in Georgia about eight minutes ago. Uh, they closed early in Georgia, earlier than us at least. They closed at 7. So we'll get updates with that, um, be able to call the race. I, I do firmly believe Raphael Warnock will be reelected and sent back to the Senate for a lot of reasons, which we can probably get into a little later or now if you want to at 508 996 500 but we're going to have Council President Ian Abreu call in for some Council post game. They've got an important ordinance in the City Council. I want to talk more about that later, uh, about pay raises for city workers. Um, we're going to talk more about that later. Arthur Hirsch in the New Bedford Light has a pr- really, really good column on uh, the the whole pay raise issue and really breaks down you know, what the mayor was proposing, how he came to those figures, and what the city council is proposing, and how they came to those figures. So, we will, uh, we'll be talking with Council President Abreu as soon as the, as soon as the meeting's over, he'll give us a buzz and let us know how that ordinance went. That was something that the mayor came on our show to talk about, on Tim's show to talk about, um, you know, making sure that New Bedford has a competitive 
a competitive salary for a lot of these non-union positions that really don't have um, that really uh, aren't paid as well as other new municipalities. New Bedford's having a hard time with staff retention uh, because of that. So we'll get into that with Council President Abreu later. But open phone lines five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. I did want to start the show with a with a a story that I thought was encouraging. Um, I mean, this really should be par for the course, but this day and age in politics, even local politics, uh, it's encouraging to see. Um, I was uh, midday, I was on social media, and I saw on the Bristol County Sheriff's, like the actual government Instagram account. So not Sheriff Hodgson's Instagram account, but the one for the Sheriff's office itself. There was a picture posted, and the picture was, was of... Sheriff Hodgson sitting at a table in a diner, and across from the table from Sheriff Hodgson was Sheriff-elect Paul Harrow, sitting at the same table. So they went, they had breakfast in Attleboro today, um, and apparently, and, and when I saw this, I had to, like, I immediately, first thing I do is I, you know, I text uh John Darling at the Bristol County Sheriff's Office. He's the public information officer there. And I found out actually he's going to remain the public information officer when Paul when Paul Harrow takes over, which I'm happy about. I really um, John, John's an easy guy to work with. And uh, I'm really I'm happy he's staying. So, uh, you know, when Harrow came on a couple weeks ago, a lot of people asked questions about what, you know, staffing changes and retention and all of that. And he said, you know, basically, I'm not going to come in and just start firing people. Um, you know, he's not going to make any major personnel or program uh, program changes. And it looks like, you know, he's staying par for the course with that. So because I asked Darling, like, hey, are you staying on? He said, yes. So I'm actually really uh, happy about that because he's he's easy to work with. Uh, he's a good he's a, he's a good public information officer. So anyway, um, so for I, I, I text him and I text uh, mayor slash sheriff or uh, elect Harrow just to ask them about the conversation that they had, because from my understanding. Um, Hodgson and Harrow have been in the same room exactly two times uh ever and one was that breakfast right and the other was the bristol county sheriff's debate (laughs) so that we had here in studio those are the two times that i'm pretty sure the two times that these two individuals have been in the same room together um so and you'll remember that if you remember the debate, if not, you can check it out. It's worth checking out, even if um, even if the even now that the race is over, because it's pretty entertaining. But uh, it was it was racuous. It was intense. And being in here, it was intense. I mean, I, I wasn't you know, we were just trying to basically Chris and I were just trying to sort of be a conduit for all of the energy that was just like, you know, being projected out by both of them it was just a lot of really like intense intensity i'll say so i didn't know how this conversation uh, how this conversation was going and so i asked both of them how the conversation go right and so they both responded pleasantly 
Um, they said that they there's more uh, you know there's more details on WBSM.com. I have a story up, and you can check out the column if you want on WBSM.com on the WBSM app. If you have the app, you probably got a notification about it. But um, there's a picture of them sitting at the table. It's at this breakfast place, I guess, called Morin's, which, um, from my understanding, is a popular breakfast place in Attleboro. I, I got to tell you, I have seldom paid attention to Attleboro um, in my. 33 years uh, here in Bristol County. The only times uh, the only times I've ever paid attention to Attleboro is when I was playing Attleboro High School or Bishop Fien in football. And so I don't know a lot about, <laughs> I don't know, or I went to the courthouse a few times. I don't know a lot about Attleboro, but apparently that's a popular place, I guess. So that's where they met. Um, apparently they discussed what... Uh, they discussed both of their experiences in corrections because obviously uh, Sheriff Hodgson was at the sheriff's office for 27 years uh, and Haro worked in corrections at the Philadelphia jail and for the Massachusetts Department of Corrections when uh, b- prior to becoming state rep and then, you know, mayor and all of that. And so uh, they talked about some of the leadership challenges that they've faced uh, that, you know, Hodgson as sheriff and Haro as mayor and how they've you know, how they've navigated those, right? And I guess Hodgson had told uh, Haro basically, um, uh, about some of the challenges he's going to encounter as, uh, as sheriff. And so they exchanged those kind of stories, found that common ground there. And, uh, they, you know, found that common ground there. And, uh, apparently we're very complimentary of, Apparently, we're very complimentary uh, of each other because what Haro said to me was the first thing that Hodgson said when I saw him was congratulations. He said he was very cordial, and um, they both talked about, this was interesting, how rumors, uh, what uh, Haro said, we both discussed how room, about uh, how rumors are endemic in this business. Um, so I guess that's probably a callback to you know, a lot of the campaign vitriol that those two were um, sort of uh, discussing, you know, it was a really acrimonious campaign. There was a lot of poison uh, in those in a, in a lot of those discussions. And they talked about, you know, how uh, talking about how rumors are endemic in the business is probably I'm, I'm guessing a reference to some of that campaign speak. Um, Ho- Hodgson said to the quote that they, that Hodgson gave to me was. Uh, the Bristol County, the future of the Bristol County Sheriff's Office is in good hands. That's a stark departure, obviously, from a lot of the campaign talk that he's done over and Haro too, right? A lot of the campaign talk that they've done over the course of the, you know, over the course of the election. And so he said, the he said it's in good hands. Uh, and they said there's going to be a smooth transition. They said the next step, basically is for Haro to go to for Haro to go to um to meet with the department heads to meet with department heads and basically uh tour the facilities tour Ash Street tour um the Dartmouth you know the Dartmouth facilities over there at the House of Correction and the I'm sure the annex over there across the street so once they tour those facilities uh and all of that um, uh, Haro will be sworn in. State law says that the sheriff has to be sworn in the first Wednesday of January. So that's January 4th. So Haro will submit it. He already submitted his letter of resignation that 
<clears throat> designates him to be leaving on January four, uh, January third, uh, resigning as Attleboro mayor January third at eleven fifty nine p.m., which is basically a minute before he assumes the office of sheriff, uh, and then he gets sworn in, I believe, by uh, by Bill Galvin. I think he gets sworn in by Galvin. So, um, so they're in the work, you know, like I said, they're in the, apparently in the process of doing that. The last time I had Hero on, he said that he hadn't had a chance to speak with Hosh and he had spoke with Darling, the public information officer, but they hadn't had a chance to speak with Tom Hosh. And it looks like they've had a chance to speak and they were very cordial and complimentary. The meeting apparently was about two hours. It was about two hours that they spoke, Hero and Hodgson. So they both they both said that. They both confirmed that to me. It was about two hours. So it's encouraging, like I said, based on how um, acrimonious that campaign had gotten and where it ended up, uh, where they end up. It's encouraging that they're both putting all that stuff behind them, all that acrimony and all of that uh, rhetoric, you know, and rancor. It's good that they're putting all of that behind them and focusing, because this is it's this is an immensely important job. You're running the correction system for an entire county, you know. Thousand, there's about 700-some-odd people being held at the House of Correction, but, you know, cycling through, there's probably, you know, thousands a year that are being held at the, um, because people come and go. Uh, being held at the Bristol County House of Correction. It's a major job in local public safety. So uh, it's good that they're moving past that and working on transition. It would have not been good for Hero in the county if he wasn't able to access Hodgson and the uh, prison. And, and, and good on Hodgson for, um, you know, doing the same thing for for basically just putting all that stuff behind him and then going on to compliment him uh hero and saying that the sheriff's office is in good hands that's starkly different from what he said during the campaign and i think it just shows that you know hodgson is and i've said this i said this during the um during the campaign, even though I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, that he he's really believes in the job and he believes in the importance of the office. He's a true believer, right? He believes what he's doing is right. Um, but I think it demonstrates that by him, you know, ensuring an amicable tra- uh, transition with Mayor Haro to become Sheriff Haro. I think it demonstrates that he really cares about the future of that office that being the sheriff's office you know is is really important to him it was more than just a job title it was you know uh it was something that you know an organization that he had uh and a culture that he had cultivated for 25 years so he's really uh invested in the future of the Bristol County Sheriff's office and you know, um, ensuring that the corrections there run smoothly. And it seems like he seems to feel comfortable passing the buck to Hero, or at least even if he isn't, he's willing to say that he is because he wants the people of the county to feel like the people who, who live in Bristol County to not, you know, feel on edge feel at the edge of your seat. And I think that's a good testament. I think that's a testament of, of good character um, on both be um, on both their parts. So that's a story. You can read more about it on WBSM.com. Again, I think it's encouraging in a time where 
there is a lot of polarization and acrimony around campaigns. I mean, some campaigns can get real nasty, but during a time where there is a lot of acrimony uh, around campaigns and a lot of polarization and a lot of, you know, second guessing of election results. And I never thought that was going to happen to begin with. Um, I think there was a lot of there, people said that, like, oh, are you going to contest the election and all that to Hodgson? Because, he, you know, because of his Trump connection. But I was like, eh, that didn't, you know, if, if you know the sheriff, it's uh, it's totally out, out of character for him. So, um, you know, I, I never thought that was going to be an issue. But it's good at a time where, you know, election results are being contested, right, for no reason at all. Um, there is a lot of polarization. There is a lot of acrimony, uh, a lot of pretty horrible things being said on, on both sides of a political campaign. It's good that there's two people, two candidates at least here, in the most acrimonious race uh, in the Commonwealth. W- without a question, this was the most acrimonious race in the entire state this year. Uh, it's good that to see two candidates putting all that behind them and really looking ahead to do the work for the people that they were, that they committed to serve. I thought that was really encouraging. So, again, there's more on that in WBSM.com. You can see the picture of them uh, at the table, uh, at the breakfast table. It's, it's certainly, it's certainly a, a different visual uh, than you'd expect after the campaign. Um, but again, I, I think it's a testament to true professionalism in politics. Um, Haro and Hodgson are experienced professional elected officials, and they're acting accordingly. So I think that's really encouraging, and I hope they're the model for campaigns around here going forward to, um, to act accordingly. Right after an election, even no matter how poisonous it gets, they're still the job doing the job. And afterwards, the public service for the people that you committed to serving. And so working together, especially in a local election, in the best interest of those people is how you make a, you know, how you make for a better society. It sounds kind of trite, but it's true. And. It's really important, uh, especially this time, um, because a lot of those national elections, they're going to get nasty. You know, the presidential election is going to get nasty. And I don't expect any side on uh, on national elections to be to be super nice to each other. Um, but what really matters when we've talked about this. The, the things that matter most are the local elections. The local elections matter the most. That's why we're here at WBSM, because the things that matter are the things that are closest to you, your select board race, your school committee race, your city council race, your mayor race, sheriff's race, DA's race, et cetera. And so you hope at the end of the day, when you have two people that have a campaign, even if it gets nasty, they can put that aside and then use their use their knowledge and skill set to commit to helping people in their community. That's what's really important in local politics. All right, 508-996-0500. Also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. I'm going to take a break, and we'll be right back. 
Marcus, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. Uh, just talked a little bit about the meeting between Hero and Hodgson today. It looks like they're moving forward in an amicable way to transition the office from uh, Hodgson to, to Hero, um, and uh, that's encouraging. So um looking forward to seeing how that unfolds. And, you know, we'll definitely talk to Sheriff-elect Hero quite a bit. Um, over his uh, time, during his time as uh, as as sheriff, uh, you know, I had Sheriff Elect Buckley on Donna Buckley from the Cape, and had a really good conversation with her. You can check that out on WBSM dot com. I think that race over there in Cape Cod followed similar. Um, had it was pretty the parallels between the two were. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of parallels between the two. That's what I'll say. Um, and you can check that you can check that column out on WBSM.com. Donna Buckley defeated longtime state rep Tim Whalen. Again, a bloodbath for the GOP this year. They're looking for a new chair. That's the big story. Uh, you heard Amy Carnavale yesterday announce her candidacy on Howie Carr. I know Jess Machado had her on before. And she's taken owner she's really taken ownership of that story here at WBSM. I think she's had just about everybody on who is going to be um who is putting their name in the ring to be the mass GOP chair. And that's not something anybody can elect, uh, can elect particularly. Um, it's, you can, t- you know, you can reach out to your state committee member. There's one per Senate district. Um, and you can ask them to vote for a new chair. So, um, you know, when Jess had that guy, Christopher Lyon on, I thought he was really interesting last, um, last Saturday, uh, he had a lot of really good experiences from Hanson and Hanson, Massachusetts. You know who else is from Hanson is uh, Andrew Card, who was George Bush's chief, chief of staff. He's the guy that famously walked over to George Bush in that Florida school while he was reading a book uh, to the the school kids and whispered in his ear, "America's under uh, America is under attack." Right after um, right after the towers hit on uh, on nine eleven, so. Um, he was talking uh, about his experience, and he seems very qualified. Uh, you know, what I've said before about that, and what I'll continue to say is there needs to be a pivot, I think, in the vision for the state party. You know, it's basically the the Republicans not only lost a bunch of, uh, you know, three countywide seats that were previously held by Republicans for 20-plus years, they lost state rep seats too. They lost the Tim Whalen state rep seat uh, down in Brewster or that Cape area. Tim Whalen's from Brewster. I don't know. The, the, it covers, I think some of the, um, some of the, some of the uh, lower Cape. Um, so the Cape, if you don't know, upper Cape is, is born in like sandwich and Falmouth. Lower Cape is like, I want to say like Barnstable, Yarmouth, Dennis, et cetera. And then the outer Cape is that, you know, other top of the arm, uh, P-Town, Truro, et cetera. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so they lost the they lost that state seat. They lost that state house seat. And now there's two state house seats. You heard Howie Carr talking about this yesterday, which I, I thought was interesting. There's two state house seats that are going to a recount that were previously held by Republicans. So um, one is in like the Gloucester area and... There was, I guess, one of Jim Lyons, the state party chair's friends, was saying to, was, oh, there's a, there's a, someone ringing the doorbell right now. I'm going to, I'm going to take a quick break. 
Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. Hey, it's Data Good. On the battlefield, there's a saying America's military men and women live by. Never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Off the battlefield, Wounded Warrior Project operates with the same goal. We leave no warrior behind. Wounded Warrior Project is a nonprofit organization created to help our men and women returning home with the scars of war. Whether those scars are physical or mental, we're here to make sure that they heal. And whether it's helping those with post-traumatic stress disorder live a normal life again, or giving much-needed support to injured warriors and veterans' hospitals, because no one deserves our help more than the men and women who risk their lives to keep us safe. Wounded Warrior Project. We never leave a fallen warrior behind. Ever. Learn more about what we do at WoundedWarriorProject.org. Take South Coast tonight with you wherever you go. Stream Chris and Marcus on the WBSM app or get their podcast on the app at WBSM.com. Now, back to South Coast tonight. Hey, welcome back to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus. That was just our engineer, uh, Frank. He's just uh, dropping off some equipment. So, um, but I wanted to check just to make sure it was, you know, wasn't somebody who worked here that needed access. Looks like it was. So, what was I talking about? I was talking about the state GOP uh, and sort of that 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 um, jockeying for power over there. Again, I think Jess has done a great job taking, uh, you know, taking charge, taking getting getting a firm grasp on that story. And it's sort of, I think it's easy to blame Jim Lyons, but I think the messaging needs to be different. I think the National Party obviously hurts uh, Republicans here, so I think they do have to, if they want to survive, pivot to the more Baker esque type of Republicans. And so, um, you know, having a new party chair is good and necessary, I suppose. But if they're just going to put forward the same messaging that might work in Florida with Ron DeSantis or in like the Bible Belt, which is more or less what they were doing, um, it's not going to work. Like they had that, um, the recount in, uh, and, and, you know, there's too much infighting there. They had to, they tried to run a write in candidate against Anthony Amore. There was the two state rep seats up, uh, in the northern part of the state. Um, one is Lenny Mira, who's an incumbent state rep, and he is poised to lose his seat. He's losing, uh, you know, basically by a few votes in the rec- uh, before the recount. And if the if the numbers hold, I think he's going to lose his seat, just barely. And then in the North Shore, in the Gloucester area, there is a state rep race where I guess one of Jim Lyon's friends was telling people to write in a third party candidate because the other candidate wasn't, I don't know, appreciably conservative or whatever. And that is, and there were sixty write-ins in that campaign. 60, 60 write-ins, which is kind of a lot in a local state rep race, especially when state rep races are like usually a few hundred votes, you know, like, you know, 400 to 500, you know, about a, a, a thousand votes. But in a race where each rep is getting like 400 some odd votes or something like that, or maybe even less, that's a lot of that 60 write-ins is quite a bit. So if there were 60 write-ins, then that means... 
probably some of them could have just voted for the GOP person, and that GOP person probably would have won. But as it stands with the recount, the Democrat is up by 17 votes. So Brad Jones, the uh, the the minority leader in the House, he is presiding over a caucus of 29 and that will, if everything holds, be reduced to 27. And probably even more still after if they, you know, if they continue along this path, you, you, it's it's not it's not inconceivable, right? That their caucus could get even fewer. There were seven, I think, Senate Republicans just about a few years ago going into the going into 2018 when Baker was last on the ballot. And if Baker was on the top of the ticket, I think those races would have changed. I think a few of those races would have changed. I think the Bristol County Sheriff's race, good chance that could have gone, gone a different, in a different direction in favor of Hodgson. I think Hero even admitted that himself. There was a lot of external factors, but, I mean, he ran a really good campaign. He ran a really good campaign. He's obviously a very skilled campaigner based on his electoral history. But he even said, you know, there's a few, there's a lot of things going in a certain direction and a lot of those things broke his way. And so I think if Baker were at the top of the ticket or uh, Baker were at the top of the ticket, some of those races might have changed. The sheriff's uh, race in Barnstable County, the sheriff rate, the, the DA's race wasn't even close. Uh, uh, Rob Galboy's had and that DA's in that DA's office in the Cape was held by about by a Republican for 40 years. That 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 office, the Cape and Islands District, was actually created in 1970, 1972, or in the early 70s, uh, and it was created by a guy named Phil Rollins. Phil Rollins had won the Southeastern District race, and Southeastern District used to cover, I think, all of Bristol County, if not most of Bristol County, but used to cover New Bedford, and it covered the Cape. Um, and then Phil Rollins won. Uh, he won. He beat the, um, what was his name, Demas? He beat the the guy Demas uh, from New Bedford, uh, Denise. I think it was Denise. He beat the guy that guy Denise from New Bedford, and when he beat that uh, that guy Denise from New Bedford, Phil Rollins was from Mashpee, and so after he did that, he lobbied the state legislature successfully to create the Cape and Islands district. Cause this, this was all following Chappaquiddick in 1969 and all of that. And then the next year that, that DA lost his race. And I think he campaigned heavily on Chappaquiddick. So, um, after he, he was a Republican. And so that, ha- and then his deputy, Michael O'Keefe held that, held that seat since 2002, uh, after Rollins had retired since 2002 and held it until, he decided to retire this year. And then he had one of his deputies who he endorsed running that race. And the Democrat Galboys won handedly. And, but the sheriff's race was fairly close over there too. It was 48, 52%, which isn't super, super close, but it's closer. It was close to the DA's race. So having a guy like Baker at the top of the ticket, as opposed to Jeff Deal, who's who ran about twenty five points behind, I think, in the total. Moore Healy got sixty something percent of the vote in the general election. AP didn't even bother. They called that race. AP didn't even bother. They called that race as soon as the polls closed. It was one of those elections. Those don't happen. That doesn't happen very often, but it does happen when a race is so clearly 
going to go a certain way, they'll call it as soon as the polls close. And they did that. And so um, you, you <laughs> because they knew that happened. I remember that happened um, in South Carolina too. the South Carolina primary. They called it for Joe Biden as soon as the polls closed because he had won because they knew he had won so handedly. And so I think if they had a, a, a clear vision with a, a candidate, if they if they had allowed Baker to run for a third term, which some people close to him said that he probably would have Baker and Polito, then I think he's probably the governor still. Moore Healy's an excellent candidate, but I don't know if she jumps in the race against the most popular governor in the country, right? She might run for a third term as attorney general. And because she's got a political future, but she's not going to throw it away. So she's not going to throw it away for uh, to run against the most popular governor in the country. Right. So you might have seen a different outcome for a lot of the down ticket races, because the top of the ticket, as we said before, really does matter in these races campaigning against uh you know, because if you're campaigning against the guy at the top of the ticket, you're saying, you know, this is this person's friend there with this person that carries down ballot. And it did. It did in this race. And we've been talking about that the whole time. So there the Republicans are doing what the Democrats often do. But the Democrats seem to have a little better party discipline in this area. I think the Republicans have party discipline in a lot of other areas, but in this area, Democrats, uh, I think they, they do have some infighting there, but they're more or less, you know, they're not as often cannibalizing um, their own their own base. Now, I'm in favor of progressive challenges and all that. That's how we get AOC. Um, I'm in favor of that. But, and I don't really like the term purity test because... It's like saying that's what Demo- that's what like the the sort of the mainstay inst- uh, um, um, establishment candidates say. Oh, we're not doing purity tests, and like yeah, to a certain extent, you you know you have to look at a look at it from a harm reduction perspective and say, okay, well this person isn't doesn't have everything that I like, but this person's going to get elected, right? And you go forward with that. I mean, I think in certain circumstances, the person that might be more, quote unquote, pure in terms of their party ideology um, would be a better candidate and could get elected. But in a lot of circumstances, you have to look at it and say, well, this person doesn't have everything I like, but this person's going to win. Right. This person's going to win. And what's what's important is getting moving the needle as close to the direction that I want to go or I want to see my party go or my state or my country go. As opposed to, you know, I just want somebody who has straight up all the values that I have and every single value that I have and is loyal to President Trump or is loyal to Joe Biden, whatever. I think it's, I think it's, you know, obviously a much more reasonable and palatable outcome to say in a lot of circumstances, well, I just want the person that's going to most of the time vote the way that I want to vote. Now I'm in favor again, I'm in favor of, of sort of, uh, you know, challenges from an ideological flank. Obviously I was a big Bernie Sanders guy. I like AOC. I like a lot of those progressive Democrats that have won Corey Bush that have successfully won 
uh, Democratic primaries to the left of their Democratic opponents. But I also see the the sort of the, you know, the practicality in just electing people who are going to continue in that office and most of the time vote the way you want to vote. Except for Joe Manchin. I couldn't care less if Joe Manchin lost in 2024. But 508-996-0500. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a break and we'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. WBS. Um, we're closing out the first hour. Second hour. We're going to talk about some stuff with um, what's going on in the city council. There is a big vote today to raise pay um, for a lot of city workers. And, you know, we've had Mayor Mitchell come on, talk about this issue before he's come on. Um, he's on my, uh, my me and Chris's show. He was on Tim's show. And uh, this is a really important issue for the city to be competitive. So uh, Council President Ian Abreu, following the meeting, is going to call in to give us an update on how that vote went and how the meeting went in general. So Council President Abreu will call in immediately after the meeting. But we're going to talk a little bit about that issue. Again, I I read an excellent column by uh, Arthur Hirsch, who does uh, city politics now. Our city government uh, now for the New Bedford Light was covering the sheriff's race before. So. We'll talk to uh, we'll talk to Ian Abreu, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about this.